Today on the I-5 Corridor, Oregon beats Ohio State, Clay Helton gets fired, and Aiden breaks down some of the best plane rides back home. Coming up next. You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the I-5 Corridor. Tyson Alger here, joined by Aiden Schneider. Uh, I just got off the plane and back home and, and turning on uh, turning on the news and seeing Clay Helton was fired. So uh, I think we got a, a podcast topic here, Aiden. How are you doing, man? <laughs> man, that was, that was a rough loss for USC and... I I've kind of thought Clay Helton was gonna gonna be gone for a while, but a little surprising to to finally see it happen. Now let's let's backtrack here a little bit. Uh, obviously, I think anybody who would be listening to this podcast knows that Oregon beat Ohio State. Um, I thought Oregon. Uh, I didn't even. It didn't really look like much of an upset. Like like Oregon was in that game the entire time. They looked just as physical. They looked just as talented, and and they are now one of the top five teams in the country. And then <laughs> at the same time, like Washington lost again to Michigan. Like they, I believe they went 20 between the Montana game and, and this week they've gone, tw- they went st- 20 straight drives without a touchdown. Um, and then you see what happens with uh, uh, USC and, and Stanford. I mean, David Shaw just absolutely putting a licking down on Clay Helton. And uh, that kind of changes the entire dynamic of, the Pac-12 season. Like I, I, I wanted to lead into this by talking to you about Ohio State because you and I haven't really even in dis- discussed that yet. But, um, I mean, I, we're we're two weeks in now, and it's it's it seems like Oregon's absolutely the team to beat in the conference, and and is probably set up pretty well for, here for the next. Co- I don't I don't want to make too big of a deal out of this, but I mean that like this seems like it's uh it seems like Oregon's going to be at least uh. Uh, it's pretty stable out of the top of this conference for the next couple few few years now, just with all everything else going on. Yeah, it kind of feels like the conference is in shambles a little bit. So, I, and I think that, at least just for the Pac-12, I think that makes Oregon's win all the more important. I know Colorado almost had a big uh, upset of Texas A&M. Granted, it was against a backup quarterback, but I mean, around the conference, there there's a lot of teams struggling and. Usually the conference doesn't eat itself alive until mid-year, but that Stanford game against USC really just shook things up in a crazy way. We'll give uh, we'll give Oregon State props here. They they did what they needed to do by winning that Hawaii game. Um, got a little got a little close there uh, towards the end, but uh, um, important win for the Beavers, especially after after dropping a, a tough game to Purdue in Week One. But um, looking again at USC, I mean, like this this is a team that. Um, has been r- r- like right there with Oregon on the recruiting trail. They did win a Pac-12 title under Clay Helton. They the Ducks played them in the Pac-12 championship game last year. Like, wh- where do you kind of stand on on that? So, like, it, it's funny, just like perusing like the Oregon message boards. Like, there's a lot of kind of jokes about like this is a terrible terrible day for Oregon because like Clay Helton was like perfect for them because you know they would be. They would be somewhat relevant, but still lose four games and never really kind of be be a true challenger to the Ducks. Like, do you 
do you see this as like a good move long term or a, a bad move long term from like an organ perspective? Uh, I think I don't know. I think it's it's definitely interesting. I think it really is just a testament. Um, I think to what Mario Cristobal has been able to do as well. Um, it's just kind of a rat race to keep up with him in recruiting. And, and as you mentioned, USC has been able to, to keep up somewhat. But I think when you have a guy like that who's had some amount of success but just can't quite get over the hump, when you have an Oregon to keep up with and you're going to have to go through them from the north every year to win the conference, that really just just takes the stakes up. And, and I think they USC realizes that and and doesn't feel like Clay Helton's the guy to get that done. Well, and it's just it just felt like that. Like he's essentially been like a lame duck for like almost like four years. I mean, like even when even when they've been decent, like it just still seems that like that fan base and I, I just because of the level of uh, attention that USC used to get and, and the success that they had. Like I think there was always kind of this um, perception that they needed to have like a big name or a star level coach, and and Helton didn't. Uh, really kind of fit that mold but I, I think his players liked him and, and I, I'm, I'm curious uh, um, like kind of like looking back at that like 2016 season like when when you guys started having like talks about like what was it a couple weeks in that like oh like you know maybe Helfrich is on the hot seat or whatnot like like how how much did that actually affect the locker room and then like could you imagine that being extended for essentially like your whole career like it has for like some of the players on Helton's roster that would be hard. Uh, I think so. The year when Helfrich's job was a little bit in doubt, uh, it it honestly wasn't that big of a deal in the locker room, more just because of the fact that we were losing games and the yeah. way we were losing games. So a, a lot of the issues just came with the like the internal dynamics of players, like especially in a program that's had so much success when you start dropping games, you start losing to teams that you should be beating. It's pretty hard for the locker room to stay together. You get people frustrated. People end up calling other people out saying that they're not playing hard enough, that type of thing. So it's kind of more the day-to-day focus is on those types of problems, which end up being the things that lead to a coach being on the hot seat. Well, it will certainly be fascinating to see what, what happens here in the coming weeks. Uh, Oregon connection right out of the gates. Uh, Dante Williams, Oregon's former cornerbacks uh, coach, has been named the interim uh, head coach. He he, I believe he got the the like assistant or associate head coach tag like at the start of this year. Um, and uh, just really kind of curious to see what he does. He's he's a coach that obviously has a a huge re- uh, recruiting background. He was I believe two time Pac twelve recruiter of the year with the Ducks before he got hired over to USC, and and then that's really kind of what kind of brought the juice into the USC's run the last couple of years. But um, I, I got to imagine they end up going with a big name. And um, I, I saw, I think Dennis Dodd float like Bob Stoops name earlier today, but um, <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm not by any means trying to start anything here at all, but I guarantee you like somebody's going to mention Chris Ball's name here or there just because of his profile <laughs> uh, because of what USC can afford and, and just kind of a, uh, um, I, I don't want to say like the arrogance of that program, but but I do think that people down there assume that probably like any coach would want to come coach USC. So um, it could make for a very fascinating come uh, several months coming. I, if if anything, it's probably going to get Chris Ball paid again somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, I I think so, and I think 
I think USC has to go with a big name. They have to make a splash. Just just like you mentioned, Clay Helton seeming like he's a bit of a lame duck for for four years. Like you can't you can't follow that up with some coach no one's ever heard of, like some up and comer. You really need to go out and get a big name um, that can hopefully back it up and, and recruit the way they need to recruit and and get them back to where they were. I, I tell you what, though, I, I guarantee you that uh, Oregon staff will be trying to take advantage of this on the recruiting trail here over the coming months with the instability there because the, these two teams have already been going back and back and forth with each other down in Southern California. And, uh, you know, obviously terrible loss for them uh, this weekend, but they, they had been doing an excellent job of recruiting this season. Uh, multiple five-star, like really high-end talent that uh, – um, Oregon has obviously shown over the last couple of years that if uh, if you give them an inch in, in the recruiting recruiting race, uh, they'll they'll take advantage of it. So I, I can't uh, I can't imagine that uh, Oregon people are not getting in touch with some of those recruits uh, over, over the coming days here. <laughs> yeah, I think with with how well Cristobal and his staff have done recruiting the state of California, um, they they've really been taking a lot of commits from those California schools, but it feels to me like with this Ohio state win, especially being shorthanded without uh, Thibodeau and flow, it almost feels like the combination of that and clay Helton being out just, just gives them an automatic win there because yeah. it's almost like they're not even necessarily competing with USC anymore. It's like they're up there with the Ohio States with the Alabama's, and they have been in the recruiting rankings the last couple of years, but for that to be validated by the result on the field and, and to have that to point to, I think is going to be absolutely huge, man. Like not even just like, not even just getting the win, but like the way in which they did it, like road game, like a true road game, a, a true hostile crowd. I mean like that, there were, I believe it was 100,482 fans there and probably 99,000 of those were Ohio state fans. Um, and then, yeah, just not having 10, 10 stars of talent in your front seven just sitting on the sidelines and, and being able to do that to, uh, you know, I, I wrote a piece on the corridor last week just kind of uh, diving into like the, the still the talent gap between these two teams and how Oregon has closed it, but but how they, you know, they needed to start kind of winning games like that and establishing themselves as uh, kind of in the same conversation as some of those elite level teams to be able to keep up and that's the exact type of win that will do it. I mean, uh, the, you know, the thing is too, is I, I know Oregon fans were so pretty pissed off about it being a 9 a.m. kick out here on the West coast, but that made it. So that game was the conversation of the entire day. Like, like that was the biggest ups. I mean, that was the biggest game of the day. It, it gave it like a full day of airtime conversations of think pieces of Twitter and everything. Like, I think, I think that was an amazing day for the ducks. And it's, it's a, it's a type of a, the type of game that you, they'll see dividends from that paying off for, for years down the road. Oh, absolutely. And I think it was such a weird game to watch and then to look at the stats from, because I've, Oregon gave up 600 yards of offense to Ohio state. Like, I don't know how many times, first of all, how many times you give up 600 yards of offense and it's not just a complete shootout, like yeah. 65, 50 something, but two to feel like, okay. And even encouraged about how your defense played. Like they just made so many 
timely plays. And the thing that stood out to me was Oregon's ability to come out and be physical and run the ball, mm-hmm. I think really put pressure on Ohio State's offense to feel like they needed to to keep pace with them. And that ended up causing them to go for it four or five times on fourth down. Um, I believe three of which Oregon stopped them on. So I thought that was absolutely huge. You know, I, I, I believe I have a podcast co- co-host who last week after the Ducks looked a little shaky against Fresno State after the offensive line didn't play all that well and after the, the running game didn't look great. I believe it was my co-host who kept saying like, yeah, don't make too much into game one. Like, we'll give it time. We'll see how it works. And uh, I think you were right. Because <laughs> like, like, like Oregon's offensive line dominated them, like especially on those runs on the left side. And it was it was cool seeing, not, you know, not only – like Oregon's like first string offensive lineman leading that charge, but you saw like Dawson Dawson Harmon. Is it Jaramillo? How, how do you pronounce Dawson's last name? I have no clue. Is it is it Jer- Jaramillo? Jaramillo? Jeremy? Anyways, I'm sorry, yeah, Dawson. Steelers boy. <laughs> hey, but like it was it was cool to see him out there getting some playing time. Uh, I saw like Ryan Walk was leading the way on one of those uh, touch. Like there was a bunch of Oregonians out there actually like making plays, which I I thought was cool because. You know, obviously, as uh, obviously as the Ducks get a higher profile and they they start trying to contend with these Alabamas and Ohio States and and those teams, like they're going to have to start having a more diverse roster. And and uh, you know, unfortunately, Oregon high school football isn't quite at the levels of you know the deep South and Texas and all that. But uh, it, it it was cool to to still see some some state of Oregon guys kind of playing major roles in that game. Yeah, definitely, and and Alex Forsyth too. Um... It was just, I mean, it was amazing to watch. Like, it was one of those games where the Ducks started strong, and the whole game I was like, this is too good to be true. What's going to go wrong? Like, I was just waiting for what break's going to go Ohio State's way. And I remember thinking when Michael Wright was looking down at his wristband and, <laughs> yeah. and got that touchdown scored on him, I was just like, oh, no, <laughs> we're going to lose by a touchdown, and it's going to be that that we're looking back on. Well, but that's what that's why that's why I was so impressed by that defense because um, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State's freshman quarterback, he was pretty bad in the first quarter. Like a lot of overthrows, just wasn't very accurate. Um, but then he started really finding fine tuning things in the second half, and he had, I think he had three hundred, maybe four hundred passing. I don't know. He he had, he put up some big numbers, and it, and it just felt like that. Like, okay, this is going to be one of those games where Ohio State finds its feet. Like, it's going to start putting together some drives. And and if Oregon ever box, like, they're going to take advantage. And and the Ducks never balked. Like, they, they, they matched them drive for drive. And, um, you know, th- this is before the game even got really super competitive later on. But, like, I thought that just the tone was absolutely set by that 99-yard touchdown drive that the Ducks started on the one. And it took them – it took a – it allowed their defense, which had been – just playing its butt off for its first two series while very thin it allowed them to get some extra time, especially cause that extended through the break into the second quarter. And it was just like, Oh, okay. Like there were no trick plays on that drive. Like there was nothing like fancy. It was just like Oregon executing and, and being just as physical as Ohio state. Like, all right, they're in this game. Like, let, let's see how it goes. Yeah. It, it was super impressive. The physicality is just, not something you would have seen the same way out of Oregon teams in the past. And don't get me wrong. Oregon's had some amazing teams uh, um, who've put up, you know, similarly impressive wins, but it just feels like a different brand of football, which was, was extra impressive to see. And you were out there at the game. So I wanted to ask you, 
what did you think of Anthony Brown, both oh in terms God. of his play on the field? And then, like, I've heard a lot about Cristobal talking about how impressed he was with Brown's demeanor. Is is that something you noticed during the game as well? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And and that's something that I, uh, I, I, I quasi apologize to Brown in my, uh, my Sunday column this week, just because uh, after the Fresno game, like, I just... I didn't think it looked like he was having any fun out there. And and then just with, he, he has a very uh, kind of monotone delivery in the press conferences. I was like, man, like just have some fun, Anthony. And, but here in the second week, I mean, the way he played was, I mean, it was incredibly fun to watch, not only just from like how accurate he was like leading the offense and, and, and getting the RPO going and, and commanding that. But then also like, when that dude ran, like it was like visions of Jeremiah Masoli out there. And like Brown's like, Brown's not a small guy, but he's not like one of those like built like built like thick quarterbacks. But man, like the way that he like there's just like certain players that like you know, and you watch them and then you go you can just see that like man that guy just looks like he wants to win a little bit more than the guys he's going up against. And there were a couple first downs that that he just put his shoulder down and trucked through guys, and it was like man like that's why that dude came out here. Like you know I think. I think it's probably been tough for him because, you know, you like, especially like with the media stuff too, because like he had to endure like a year of like quarterback battle conversations and none of this was in person. And no, like none of these people, like I, you know, I, I just, there was no media stuff in person last year either. So I don't think anybody got a, like a real feel for anybody. And so um, I, it was just really cool to be able to see him kind of like establish himself and like have, have a game that, really highlights like this is what I do like this is what I want to accomplish um and you know just just hearing from teammates and everything like there was a lot of freshmen on that field for Oregon a lot of young players that hadn't even played in like a really true road game before and to, to have that calm presence uh from Brown and, and somebody that's like kind of been in that scenario before I thought that was incredibly valuable for that team yeah having the veteran leadership is huge and you know, obviously that's the biggest game of his life to this point, yeah. but just having played so much football and being able to be that calm, steady presence is huge. And to your point about the freshman playing, I think this is exactly what I was talking about with uh, Rob Mosley a couple weeks back, that this just isn't something that's happened with Oregon in the past where there are so many freshmen and young guys who are ready to play in huge games like this. And not just play, but make plays and, and dominate in some cases and really look prepared. So the fact that you can have a couple of your top defensive guys out and have guys step in and, and play really well is just a huge asset to have that depth. I I still can't get over the fact that they did that without Thibodeau and Flo. <laughs> like, uh, and and it, it sounds like it sounds, I don't, I don't know if Thibodeau is going to play this week. I mean, they're playing Stony Brook. They, they don't need Kayvon to beat Stony Brook. Um, but it sounds like that he's at least, you know, will be back sometime soon. Whereas today, uh, Cristobal announced that uh, it looks like Flo is going to miss some extended time, which uh, I, I will say nothing felt like it was in the like, uh, like nothing felt like it was a normal college football season again than just the complete rabid message board rumors all week with the with the flow injury situation. I uh, I was I was on a couple of them and it was like, man, I think I think one of the posts on. Uh, it was on Scoop Duck, got to like over like a thousand responses long. It was like, all right, this is perfect college football hysteria here. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> back in the full swing of things. Do you, do you, uh, do you, do you know Cam McCormick all that well? 
Uh, yeah, I know him pretty well. He was uh, back in the day when he was a, a young tight end. We had uh, Tom Osborne as our special teams coordinator and the tight end position coach. So we were in the same uh, meeting room. And it was it was just so tough. Like, one, he's Chris Paul announced that he's lost for the season again. That I'm unless there's some sort of other waiver we don't know about. It's probably the end of his Oregon playing career. And obviously such a such a tough situation for him, basically three straight years of battling back from injuries just to get back on the field. And um, he had his first catch in three seasons on Saturday and it was for, a, it was on third and long. It converted to first down. That's the play that ended up hurting him. Um, and uh, I, I was kind of keeping an eye on him on the sidelines after the game, just, you know, to see, see uh, how he would react to a win like that. And I, I never got to talk to him, but, but Mosley did. And uh, it, it seems like at least Cam was able to have that perspective of like, hey, I was able to come back and contribute in the biggest game that he would ever play in. And so like that that was certainly cool, but obviously just uh just the overround crappy situation for for a guy that worked really hard to kind of get back to this point. It just sucks. Yeah. Like <laughs> to have a guy like that like working his ass off year after year and and not being able to play as much as he wants to and, and showcase what he can do and to battle back time and time again. And then it was awesome that he got the catch, but to have that happen is just yeah. such a bummer. And, and, and he's such a good guy and a hard worker and, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough one to swallow for him, but he does has have some experience with it and I'm sure he'll get through it. All right. So Oregon's got Stony Brook, this Saturday, we're going to come back and uh, or we're going to take a short break here. But uh, I want to come back and ask Aiden a little bit about what uh, what those plane rides are like after coming back home after a big win. So uh, we'll be right back. Hey, it's Tyson here again. Just wanted to thank everyone for listening to this free episode of the I-5 Corridor podcast. And just remind everyone that the I-5 Corridor is a full website where uh, I actually do what I'm good at, which is writing, not this talking thing. We have some really cool stories in the works over the next couple weeks, including a profile for Ahmad Rashad later this week. And subscribers get access to all stories, a couple bonus podcasts, and just kind of more of me in their inbox, which now as I'm saying that, I don't know if that's all that appealing. Anyways, back to back to you, Aiden. I got to imagine those plane rides feel pretty good after a big win, right? Yeah, it's, it's so fun. And a lot of the times, especially with, with road night games, you're absolutely exhausted. We had a game against Washington state where I think we didn't get back until like almost 6am. It was, uh, one of the, one of those classic air raid games that felt like it was never going to end. And, but when you get back on the, on the plane after a big win, like you're tired, you're, (laughs) I wasn't beat up, but other guys are beat up and it's, it's hard to sleep sometimes, but it's just such a satisfying feeling, especially watching sports center, taking a look at the highlights from your game, Do you guys all have the other games seat, and assigned seats on like, like who did you sit with on the plane? Loosely assigned. Uh, so if you're a real big star, Ooh. you get first class or just, a, or just a huge lineman. So unfortunately I only got first class twice in my career and one of those was just because it was only the oregon guys going down to the rose bowl so that doesn't even count but uh, i sat with devin melendez a lot the former oregon long snapper one of my good friends we were also roommates um but it's it's kind of a loose seating chart on the plane like 
you have a seat, but some people will switch around and especially on the way back, like no one's paying attention so to the seating was, chart. Uh, really was Marcus. Mar- I'm assuming Marcus was a first class guy or, or was he or in true Mar- Marcus fashion? Did he give that up to somebody? I I'm not, I can't say I remember, but he, he, he should have been in first class. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, let's give he him that leg room. You know, he's, he's carrying the team a little bit here. Um, Man, I, I'm trying to think. Like, I remember when you guys beat Stanford in was it 15? Was it 15 when when uh, I think it was uh, on the farm? You guys had a goal line. I think it was a goal line stop to basically win it. I think it was like Joe Walker and uh, um, Tyson Coleman made it made a stop there. And then I I remember the the media room leading into the locker room like you can kind of peer like down this hallway and like here inside the locker room and that was like the absolute loudest locker room i've heard uh uh post post win from you guys and was just curious like what 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 were some of uh your your favorite uh locker room wins that was a great one that was one of my personal favorites because before that goal line stand with uh joe walker and tyson coleman i hit a field goal to put us up eight and i've had this debate with my friends over and over and over i say it was a game winner because it forced them to have to go for two on the next drive which they didn't get who knows if my friends are just giving me shit or not but i get a lot of disagreement on that but that was my one game winner and and I'm taking it. I don't it was so funny seeing I, I saw uh, Noah Sewell posted a video or it was like his Instagram live and it was basically like Cristobal like up on a table or a desk just like going absolutely nuts. Um, <laughs> like, like those those scenes just make me laugh so much because like they're like we, we get such a buttoned up version of like all of these guys in, in media stuff and, and especially like Cristobal knows when like any cameras on them and, and just to see them kind of uh, actually like relish those wins and, and kind of uh, show off the, you know, like all these guys are, are uber competitive and, you know, they're, they're not the politicians that they sound like on, on camera sometimes. And to just kind of see that, that energy and emotion uh, is, is one of my favorite things because it's, it's just true. Yeah. It's super fun. And it's funny to think about like, <laughs> you're not going to catch Mark Helfrich getting fired up the way Cristobal does. <laughs> just just two guys with different personalities but another one that comes to mind is arizona state in 2015 yeah after we won that the shootout and triple overtime that was that got pretty rowdy after and, and the absolute best is like to, to see some of the coaches just let loose like get super fired up there are some guys who aren't always the most animated like, like who give me give me an example like, here so the best one, this happened Washington 2015 and Arizona State 2015. But but Coach Osborne would get up on top of the lockers and be losing his mind. It was absolutely amazing to see. That like that image is just and, and seared into my memory. <laughs> That's funny. Because yeah, Osborne's a very uh I don't know if buttoned up's the right word, but he he's he's doesn't necessarily like exude or uh Oo's personality uh, uh, outside of a uh, outside the football field sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> he's he was a funny guy, um, and he was just 
he gets really fired up when the time comes, but yeah, most of the time he's, he's pretty cool, calm and collected, but we had, we had a lot of funny moments in his meeting room too, with, uh, my freshman year, the, the tight end and specialist group was an interesting cast of characters. And we had some absolutely dude, hilarious. Dude, the tight ends and specialists there. ever kind of like wonder like, why the hell do we get lumped together? <laughs> uh, I, I guess it just, that seems like a kind of normal thing. I know. I feel like a special teams coordinator who coaches another group. It's usually tight ends, like occasionally running backs or receivers, but it does seem like it's tight ends most of the time. And I'm not really uh, sure why. How was Taggart after wins? Oh, he, (laughs) he, he liked to, to turn up. He, it felt like there were some wins where, you know, as all staffs do that before the game, during the game, they'd be talking about <laughs> discipline and stuff. And they would just like, even on the fourth quarter in the fourth quarter on the sideline, like they would start losing their minds. Like I can't remember who, I think it was against Oregon state. Maybe uh, my senior the, year, it was senior day. We ended up the, winning the 69 to game. 10. The next, year, okay. the next year. Yeah. The, Oh yeah. Yeah. The raincoat <laughs> game. That's right. Um, I think there was a kickoff in the fourth quarter and before the kickoff team went out, Taggart was like, we tackle him inside the 20. Everyone on the kickoff team is getting a steak <laughs> dinner or something. <laughs> we were just like, what is going on? Like, I can't take this also, guy seriously. And we, we did get him inside the 20, but I don't think we ever got our steak dinner. So he owes us one. <laughs> Willie, are you ever going to give them the steak dinner? Why would you ever get the impression that I would have given them a steak dinner? I'm trying to make a poor reference to the, uh, are you going to be coaching in the bowl game? Why wouldn't I be coaching in the bowl game? Well, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go down the Taggart rabbit hole at, at some point, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep this thing focused on uh, uh, a pretty freaking incredible week weekend in, in Oregon football history. Um, and then now, and then now we head into, uh, my favorite slash least favorite weeks of the year. It was when you're coming off just like the adrenaline rush of like a, a massive football game. And, and I mean that from, even from the, the writer's perspective, cause like it's, it's definitely a different adrenaline rush when you're, when you're writing your gamer for, for a game that, you know, has national relevance. And then, then you get Stony Brook <laughs> like, and, and, and as we've seen, uh, in several really uh, uh, big instances here so far in the season, uh, you shouldn't overlook any opponent. We're talking to you, Washington. We're talking to you, Florida State. Um, I can't imagine the Ducks are going to have a whole lot of trouble in this game, but it's also it's it's just such a funny kind of come down after you know one of the most anticipated matchups in Oregon history. Yeah, that's right, Tyson. You got to come exactly. to play just like the players. No hang, yeah, no well, Ohio you know, State hangover. Uh, the, the, but, at the I five yeah. corridor, we just take it one one paragraph at a time, and uh, um, you know it's a uh, yeah. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it can be a little tough. Um, kind of in in the way we've discussed previously. Sometimes it's easy to look past your week one opponent. Um, it's easy to do the same thing and just look past Stony Brook to I think is it Arizona who yeah, they open conference our... play with. Yeah, it's it's uh, a seven thirty kick Arizona, and then they go to Stanford, which all of a sudden is a much bigger game than I, I think any of us thought it was going to be, uh, even a, a, four days ago. 
yeah, <laughs> I was about to say they're they're going to be maybe looking past Stony Brook forward to Arizona, but I guess make that Stanford because Arizona hasn't put a whole lot on tape to be scared. Somebody, of somebody so this year um, took a screenshot of the Stanford game and it was just a photo of like, or it was just basically David Shaw on the sideline with like a shitting grin and he had like his chain out too. And like, he just looked, he just looked like such a badass. <laughs> like, yeah, like of course we just did that. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, that's just a tricky one because Stanford's been struggling, but like, you know, they're going to have talent, you know, they're going to be well coached. And as USC found out, it's, <laughs> it can be tough playing Stanford, even when they're, they've been down the last. Well, uh, what's on the docket for you the rest of the week? We got, we're finally getting some fall weather coming in here. The wind's picking up. I think, I think the rain's coming, which, uh, per- perfect. Uh, we mentioned this on the podcast last week, but it's the, the perfect amount of everyone's going to start complaining about how it's raining, even though I've been complaining about how hot it's been, but, uh, um yeah what you what you got going this week uh not a whole lot i've i've actually been training for a half marathon so i'm kind of excited to to do some of the training runs when it's not 80 or 90 degrees out when's that'll be nice but when's the marathon really half marathon it is november 21st i'm doing it down have have you done one of those before yeah i have not I think the farthest I've ever run is like eight miles, which was in high school. Is so it's, it's going to be ha- interesting. Half marathon sticker worthy for the back of your car. Uh, for some people, yes. For me, absolutely <laughs> not. I'm out on that. I one. mean, you know, it's all different perspectives. For me, it would completely be sticker worthy, but I am also not a former athlete. So, um, I got a I, I got some Ted Ted Lasso to catch up on later today. So uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a good looking week, man. Oh yeah, I, I haven't been watching. I I totally spaced it's on that. that. How's the season been? Has it uh, continued to live up to your your billing of it as the the best episode? I, of I TV think it's ever I seen? think it's been really good. I, I think some people criticize it a bit just because it's not. Uh, I mean, it's the second season. You're not going to have like the full like storyline of the first year, but it's 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 nice. It's it's a it's subtle. It's got nuance. It's the I five corridor gives it like a solid nine and a half out of ten, and uh, and we don't just throw those reviews around. So, um, but well, I I think to be fair, I think we're going to have to average that. You can't say the whole I five corridor gives it that rating. I'm I'm going to go with. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to assume it's okay. like a seven well, and a half. I mean, it's your credit. It, it, it's, I'll get back to you on that. Um, <laughs> but uh, speaking of the I-5 corridor, uh, actually pretty excited about this week. I have, we'll probably run it on Thursday, um, but a profile, uh, I, I talked to uh, Ahmad Rashad last week uh, for about half an hour about his Oregon career and just how I think most people assume that he was a former basketball player just because of how involved he was in the NBA and and inside stuff. And I mean, even on Saturday, he was inducting people into the Hall of Fame, but had a real fun conversation with him about uh, being born in Portland, growing up in the Northwest and and playing football at Oregon. So keep an eye out for that on Thursday, I'm going to say. So um, and other than that, yeah, I'm, excited I'm, to read that. I'm stoked about it. I, I was surprised that uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Rashad uh, wasn't like the I-5 who? So, <laughs> uh, so uh, 
Yeah. And, uh, and then just like a, a quick shout out. We, we hit a hundred subscribers last week, which is just, uh, baffles me. I, I, I still can't believe that anyone's paying for this. So, so thanks to everyone. And, uh, thanks Aiden for, for helping getting this thing going. And, uh, I, I really liked your mailbag last week too. Awesome. Yeah. Appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited to do some more of that and, and congratulations to you. This is coming together rather quickly. I'm, I'm definitely impressed with how everything's turned out and, and thank you to everyone who's been a part of it. Subscribe, listen to the podcast, uh, uh read any of the, the articles. So Absolutely. Far, so. All right. Well, Hey everyone, we'll be back. Um, we'll probably be back next Monday. I, I think we're going to start trying to get consistently line up a few more guests. Um, obviously, uh, things change a little bit when, uh, the team you cover has one of the biggest wins in their program history. But I, I think even though it's Tuesday now, I think people are probably still pretty happy to be talking about that one. So uh, for Tyson and Aiden, we'll be back next week after a thrilling Stony Brook game. Peace. <laughs> Can't wait.